Welcome to the podcast, In and Through Exist, to equip the church to be hearers and doers of the word. I'm Tim. And I'm Marshall. I've got a, I left my headphones at home. And so <laughs> my, my monitor volumes are all over the place and I got to do tweak some adjusting. It a bit? <laughs> yeah. How you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm doing well. Um, it's hot. It's hot out today. So here's my theory. Okay. What's my your- theory is. So about two weeks ago, it was like deep fall, November-ish. It was cold, yeah. Yeah. And I, I've, people were like, no, I'm not ready for this. <laughs> Summer was too short. Yeah. And, and I think what God was doing was he was saying, listen, I'm going to give you a taste of fall to remind you because you've forgotten that winter is coming. <laughs> I'm going to give you a taste of fall out there so that... When I give you your last bit of summer, you're that much more grateful for it. Mm. That's and and I I think we're yeah. going. That's hot. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I like the fall. I'm a fan of the fall. I like the in between, man. I like I like I like spring and I like yeah. the fall, especially the fall. I could have done without the fall. I could do October twelve months of the year. I just could. Yeah. That's where I'm at. I was trying to make a theology joke about the fall, but oh, and I totally missed I, it. Yeah, it wasn't a good one. That's why you missed it. <laughs> if the, if that were if that were a, if that was a baseball play right there, you'd be like, oh, I missed it. And I'd be like, that's because the ball only made it halfway to the plate. <laughs> it was such a bad pitch. There's n- no expectation you would. <sighs> that's okay. I forgive you. All right. Well, so thank you. <laughs> Because, because if you couldn't forgive that, what could I? We we have problems. <laughs> I I would I would label that minor. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's pretty minor. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. minor. That's pretty minor. All right. So today we continue our discussion about Islam, and last week we talked primarily about the history, kind of its origins, the various views on its origins, and kind of how it rose to prominence. And today we get really more into what what do Muslims actually believe? Mm-hmm. Like, what yeah. is it that Islam teaches? There are, you know, like, what, what are the core beliefs, uh, the core texts, and, you know, what is similar and different from our, from our own theological positions? And uh, hopefully this discussion will help us get a better sense of what our Muslim, you know, neighbors and, and colleagues, if you're in the workplace, um, believe. Right, sure. where yeah. where it is that they're at, right? Um, and so, as we mentioned uh, yesterday, or yesterday, oh my goodness, last week, as you we mentioned last week, um, the Quran is the the name given to the quote unquote revelations that were given to Muhammad by the angel Gabriel over the course of a couple decades. The Quran is the primary holy text for Islam. Um, yeah, so there. I mean, there's some distinctions, and is it is it the Bible of the Muslims in ways? Yes, in ways, no. Um, yeah, it's not um, exhaustive in the same sense as we would see Scripture, but it is a, the foundational text of the Muslim faith, mm-hmm. without question. Mm-hmm. Um, the name, the name of the Quran, comes from the Arabic verb "kara," which means to read or to recite. Because, again, keep in mind, this was initially circulated in a time and place where the majority of people were illiterate. Right. So the Quran would be recited, read aloud, and that's how people would hear it and come to know it and remember it. Yeah, including the prophet himself. Well, allegedly, yes. Yeah. Um, it was considered to be a transcript of direct speech from God. So it's different in the Bible this way. Mm-hmm. So essentially, the way that the Muslims view the Quran is that it's literally like just quotes from the voice of God the whole way through. Right. Where while we would recognize that um, scripture, you know, Christian scripture is God breathed, not all of it is direct speech from God. Right. Right. So there's there's a distinction there in kind of what it how it's viewed. Right. Even even plenary inspiration mm-hmm. would say <clears throat> every word of the pat of the scripture is inspired by God, mm-hmm. 
not necessarily there was an audible voice and dictation. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what that's how Muslims view the Quran. It's audible. It's an audible voice via Gabriel, which is dictated word for word. Mm-hmm. That is that's how they, they right. view it. Um the Quran itself is actually technically it's shorter than the New Testament. Um so it's not particularly long, at least compared to the whole Bible. Um it's divided into 114 units, or we might you might think of them as chapters. Uh, in the Islamic world, they're called surahs. So there's 114 of them. And they typically, the first one's pretty short. And then after that, they get really long. Number two is like the longest. And then they get progressively shorter over time. Um, and so and what they're actually, they all have different names. But the naming system is actually, it's actually kind of interesting. So what they do to remember them is there's if there's a peculiar word in that section, they'll just, the title for that section will just be that peculiar word. So... The word cow is used in the second surah, which is the longest one. It's not mostly about cows. Sure. But because the word cow isn't found throughout most of the Quran and it's used there, it's like a... It's, it's the one about the cow. It's it's the one that mentions the cow. Sure. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, the one that mentions the, the cow. The one that mentions yeah. the cow. And so it's kind of, that's how it's it's labeled throughout. Um, yeah, like I said, they, they t- typically get shorter over time. Um, what it's made up of is like a lot of... There's prophetic predictions about judgment and paradise. There's a lot of narratives that include some familiar characters like Adam and Noah and Moses Mm -hmm. and even Jesus. Mm -hmm. Um, And then laws. um, Although much of what we know as Islamic law doesn't actually come directly from the Quran, but from later writings. Right. So it's a mix of genres Kind of, although the way it's presented is just as direct speech. So Muhammad allegedly goes into the cave. The ga- angel Gabriel says, this is what I'm telling you today. He writes it down and that's what he's got. And then till the next time he goes and gets mm-hmm. another Surah. And so it might be a story. It might be some rules. It might be some prophecy. It might be whatever. But eventually he's teaching sort of like even just as he goes about his day and his uncle yeah, is copying down some of these. Yes, things yes, as well, right? yeah. So there's there, there's also a tradition of kind of Muhammad's oral teaching that stems right. from this, and so what the the kind of the commentary and the recording of his sermons are known as the hadith, mm-hmm. and the hadith are kind of like a secondary scripture, which again are like his kind of like preaching manuscripts, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and they focus much more on legal codes, ethics, ceremony. That's where a lot of that stuff comes from. Is not necessarily the Quran, but the Hadith. Um, and it was recorded by his followers, including primarily his uncle, but also others who who wrote these things down. Um, interestingly, though, depending on which stream of Islam you're part of, the collection of Hadith that you recognize are going to be somewhat different. So right. there's there's a, a degree of disunity or, or difference of opinion in what what is what. Yeah, let's 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 run <laughs> yeah. with that just a little. bit. Yeah, yeah. Because we're so this episode we're going to be talking about what what Islam teaches. What is what are the teachings? Right. I, I think it's better to say what are the teachings of Islam than what is believed because sometimes people believe what you're not teaching. Right. That's um, true too. Allow every Christian pastor to sit on that for a, just a second and take a deep breath. Um, so, the, what what the Quran teaches, the, or what Islam teaches, the next episode is going to be how do we, in an apologetic fashion, fashion interact. So I, I don't want to cross too far into that, mm-hmm. but I will say one of the things that I hear a lot of. Muslim apologists do is to say there are so many Bibles. Why are there so many Bibles? There's only one Quran, right? but there are so many Bibles. Mm-hmm. First off, it's an, an, a ridiculous oversimplification of translation. Right, right. Right. I mean, of course, there are going. Even if even if every translation was perfect, there'd be a different one for each language, language it was yeah. translated into. Yeah. Right. Uh, and and secondly, the Quran is written in a language that isn't dead. 
Right. Yeah. That they still speak. Mm-hmm. So that really lowers the bar. Right. For unity. Mm-hmm. But there's still discontinuity. Yeah. And, especially in the hadiths. Yeah. And yeah. so so that's just to say when the argument is there is and has only ever been one Quran and the hadith but look at what's happened to the Christian Bible. It's just all over the place. Yeah. The Christian Bible is written in three dead languages. Mm-hmm. One has been resurrected, but for a very long period of time, mm-hmm. it was from three dead languages and is arguably more intact mm-hmm. than the Quran and Hadith package, yeah. um, which are written in languages still used. Yeah. Uh, so that's just, that's always been a weird argument for me. It's a, it's a very much a paper tiger argument that you just sort of like poke it and you're like, yeah, that popped. So much of like, much of like the, I guess more orthodox approach within Islam to the Quran is reminiscent of the medieval church's approach to scripture. Mm-hmm. So they, what with right. the Roman Catholic church in Europe essentially said, you know, was Latin is the language. That's the language scripture is in. You don't translate it into any other language. I have in in my hands um, a Quran that was given to me that has an English translation in it, but there's a whole lot of Muslims. And when I say a whole lot, I mean hundreds of millions of Muslims who would be, be very offended that this even exists. Right. That's a point that I wanted to make later on, but now is a good point. Yeah. Um, it's not just that you read the Quran, it's how. Right. And in some places, where and how, mm-hmm. right? Um, so if you if you were to take the approach of, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to Value Village and grab a Quran, and because that's the bookstore right. that sells Qurans, they they do have them. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm going to go there and I'm going to buy a Quran and I'm going to read it, and I'm just going to start dropping truth bombs left and right. Do not be surprised if you show up to make your TikTok fame of of getting one on the uh, the Muslim apologists. Oh, yeah. If you go in and you say the Quran says, and he looks at you and says you've never read the Quran, mm. and even if you were able to quote it, they would they would hold some value to say you've never read it because it's not the Quran unless it's in Arabic, right? And read out loud. Right. Right? So if you're not reading it in the original language and you're not reading it out loud, mm-hmm. in, in some ways, even though we would call Scripture the living, breathing Word of God, mm-hmm. they are even more mystical right. about the Quran. Right. Right? They would say, uh, I, I've, heard, I've heard them, uh, some of them be challenged on things that don't make sense. Right, like even even just within the passage, right. like this this doesn't make logical sense. I don't understand the flow. Right, what are you? What's being said here? And the argument was, you don't understand because you're trying to read it in English or you're not reading it out loud. Right, and if you read it out loud in Arabic, mm-hmm. you are going to hear the poetry. Mm-hmm. of how the words just sort of flow. Right. And so the the art form of it, even if the words aren't as coherent, mm-hmm. that it sounds nice together. Mm-hmm. Not to be disrespectful, but I think this is how a lot of pop music is written, right? It doesn't have to make sense. It just sounds good yeah. And, yeah. and melodic. It's euphonious mm-hmm. is the mm-hmm. word, right, mm-hmm. for something that sounds good. Um, and that is that is... A miracle of the Quran, right? Right, and so and so if you if you go by read and sit down with a friend and they tell you sorry but you've never read it, um, that's that's really not going to be a barrier that if they're going to cling to that, that's not a barrier you're going to overcome mm-hmm. unless you go and learn a new language, right? Read it out loud, mm-hmm. and that and the where can come into within a group of believers right like yeah well and it, so. cre- it create it also creates a similar issue that also existed towards the end of the middle ages um in regards to the bible um when the whole big debate was going on about translating the bible into vernacular languages again if you uh, 
if you grow up in Saudi Arabia, you speak Arabic, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of, you know, Muslim communities in Africa or in Asia, right. par- certain parts of Asia that Arabic is not spoken. It, it's a, it's kind of an academic language. And so there are a great many number of Muslims that aren't even able not only just to read the Quran, but to even understand it as it's read. Right. And so sometimes imams will provide kind of interpretation and commentary in the vernacular language, as they kind of did in medieval mass to some degree, depending mm-hmm. on where you were and what the priest felt like that that day. But um, so that's just another thing to understand as well that like their it, it their rigidity in maintaining the Quran in Arabic uh, means that there's a great many number of Muslims who actually haven't ever really understood or read the Quran themselves. Right. In the similar way that many Christians in certain parts of the world and certain parts of history had no access to the Bible. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that your thought on, on how the Quran is handled goes to medieval Christianity. Mm. Because I was ready to make a comparison to say it reminds me of B.C. Judaism. Okay. And so here's my argument for B.C. Judaism, mm-hmm. right? Um, you have the text which is the sacred text, some portions more sacred than others, right? We know that the early Jews would would look at the books of Moses and hold them in higher regard right. than the prophets or yeah. the histories, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and that took place even in Jesus' time. Sure. Like the, the weight that we put to say all of Scripture is God-breathed and useful, and that means even the spinning wheels of whatever in Ezekiel mm-hmm. are just as important as Jesus's words on the cross because they're inspired of God. That's a new Christian thing. Right. That's not something that the ancient Jews would have held to. Right. They would have said, no, there's the Pentateuch. And then there's some other stuff that's pretty good. Right. Yeah. There was a, preemin- um, a position of preeminence. With but even, even within that, there was the sacred writings and then there were the um, the rabbinical writings, right? Where you start getting into the spelling out of laws that are extra biblical in a way that say because the Bible says this, we've created these teachings, mm-hmm. and that's where I would say they have two texts, not like the Mormons have multiple texts. No, no, no. The Mormons have multiple texts. Maybe we'll do some Mormon episodes. But Probably should. Yeah, they. that's just sort of like want of more text, I feel. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so they have, the, the, the Muslims have multiple texts in the same way the Jews operated under multiple texts, mm. right? There's the sacred text, and then there are these rabbinical teachings that establish the details of how this is going to be carried out and they're authoritative. And in some ways become more read and authoritative than actually the sacred text. Mm-hmm. Right? I mm-hmm. think I think the Pharisees would never have said the rabbinical teachings are greater than the books of Moses, mm-hmm. but that's not how they operated. Right. Right, right. And right, and right. I think I think and again, like we, we did this disclaimer when we opened up the last episode, we should probably do it for every one of them. Neither of us have master's degrees or history specifically in Islam. Mm -hmm. Um, We've done the best that we can to do due diligence. We're going to get some things wrong. My perception over the years of seeing interaction uh, and, and reading from Islamic writers on, on their faith and and watching, you know, lectures and stuff on YouTube. um, All that leads me to believe there's a whole lot of the practice that is what we would call extra biblical, mm. extra Quranical. I don't know. I don't know how they would determine that. But but inside of the Hadith, that is in practice yeah. more sacred. Well, it's yeah in in its application, right? Because again, yeah. it focuses more on like the rules and ethics and ceremonies that are practiced. So, mm-hmm. getting into that, that's a good kind of transition because within Islam, although there are variations, generally. There are, are five things known as the, the five pillars of Islam. So these are five things that all Muslims must do. Um, and so 
Um, I'll just kind of go through them. We'll just chat about them as we go. The first one is the most known as the, and I, I realize for anyone who actually is a native Arabic speaker, I might butcher these pronunciations. I'm doing my best. Uh, the Shahada, which is the profession of faith. So essentially, this is like how you become a Muslim, is you mm-hmm. make this profession. There's no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet. Um, if you were growing up, you know, if you were uh, living in certain places during certain parts of history, this is saying these words is what prevented you from losing your head. Yeah. Um, but in, in, a, in a less violent and more innocuous way, this is kind of the ceremonial um, thing that you say, and saying it with conviction is what makes you uh, a Muslim in, by right. their estimation. It's, it's, it's saying it and meaning it, believing it. That's what it right. is. Yeah. And um, in some ways, it's low bar entry. Yeah, in some ways, yeah. In in some ways, it sort of revi- uh, It sort of shows a little bit of decisionism. Yeah, yeah. For Christianity sure. since the Great Awakening mm. has had these sort of revival, yeah, come repeat, forward, repeat sign after a card, me. repeat the prayer, kind of a thing. Yep. Um, and and that's what gets you in. Yeah. Uh, but but this is something that has been with them from the beginning. Right and is uh, and is recognized as sacred, whereas we would say, just because you said the thing like we're looking for life transformation, mm-hmm. although some wouldn't, right? Like I've I've, I've oh yeah <laughs> I've talked to so many people who are like, yeah, this person, right? Whatever. Usually there's a relation. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no evidence of Christian Christianity in their life, but I was there when they said that prayer, so it's all good, right? Yeah. Um, unfortunately, yeah. and so. Yeah. Argu- arguably in Islam, that's mm-hmm. the first step. Mm-hmm. Uh, the confession of faith, not that different from Christianity. Yeah. Because even even if a person, even if we didn't get into decisionism, right, and signing a card at the front of the the altar call, um, profession of faith is still, yeah, um, a, a critical portion of what it means to enter into the church. Right. Yeah. I guess there, the difference lies in the supposed guarantees. Right, there's no real guarantees. Being a Muslim doesn't really guarantee anything for mm-hmm. a Muslim, whereas biblically, being a Christian means a whole lot of things. But again, the way that it's often presented in those more, you know, that 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 tradition of decisionism, um, I mean, I, I'd go so far as to say kind of cheapens what what Christianity actually teaches. But yeah, there's definitely some parallels with that yeah. and kind of the repeat after me. Um, you know, asking Jesus in your heart prayer kind of thing that that's, you know, I grew up with, we, you grew up with, we all grew up with to some degree. Okay. So the first one, the Shahada profession of faith. Second one is Salat, which is prayer. So this is something that a lot of people who aren't Muslim will be at least vaguely aware of that five times a day, Muslims are to face Mecca, which is the, um, the most holy city and site in Islam and recite the first chapter, the first surah uh, of the Quran. And um, this can happen in a mosque. But it can also happen anywhere. Yep. So uh, in, in most kind of more urban areas, they'll, they'll typically, you know, if it's a large workplace, they might set aside a closet as a prayer closet for Muslims to to do this, to mm-hmm. exercise their their uh, religious ceremonies throughout the day. They'll usually use like a mat or a small rug for, for prayer for that purpose. And so it's five times a day facing a particular direction. I mean, for us, where we are, it's going to be, you know, southeast. Um, and uh, and reciting that first first bit of the Quran. Um, yeah, so that's that's going to be a, a, a common practice amongst devout Muslims. Yeah. Not everyone who calls himself a Muslim is going to actually do this, but but it's a, you know, it's a fairly common practice. Right, and that's where the the architecture in the Muslim world has the those famous minarets, Right where they have the capacity then to do the call to prayer yep. to remind everybody it's that time of the day, mm-hmm. um, which is a beautiful portion of their architecture. When I was uh, when I was this is going to be a flex. Are you ready for this? Okay. When I was living in Argentina, I had to do eight weeks of uh, study for my master's of education in Beijing. Okay. And so I flew from New York to London to Qatar. Okay. And then from Qatar to Beijing. Okay. And I had about 12 hours of layover in Qatar. Um, and just driving around and seeing some of those things was incredible. Mm. Um, there was a prayer room in the airport 
It was huge. I bet. Like yeah. the size of our gym here at the at the church. Right. And uh, on the plane, because I was flying Qatar Airways, which, by the way, if you ever get the chance, the best airline I've ever flown. <laughs> this podcast is not sponsored <laughs> by Qatar Airlines. Wouldn't it be amazing if it was? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but on the airline, so you know, you have the you have the corporate TV. Back in the day, you had the corporate TV that played the movie. Yeah. And then you have the little ones now in the back of the headrests. Yeah. Well, they had the little ones in the back of the headrests, very modern airplane, but they also still had the corporate one. And the corporate one always showed the map of where we were, right? Because that's always an option. Watch a movie or right. watch the map. For whatever reason, I can just watch that map for hours as we slowly yeah, take Yeah, I'm through. the same way. And so the corporate one was always the map and always there was an arrow pointing to Mecca okay. at all points Interesting. in the flight. It was just sort of like this real-time tracker huh. of where East was. Wow. Uh, for people to pray because, yeah, there's the, the traditional call for five prayers a day, but the more you can get in, the better. Yeah, sure. Right? And so if you're ever around uh, a Muslim, sometimes you'll see that they carry a clicker like the kind of thing that you might see at a hockey game where they're counting the people who are coming through the gate. Okay. Right? Um, that clicker, like I've seen people show like uh, their cab drivers mm -hmm. doing the, the clicker while they're driving. Mm -hmm. um, what they're doing is they're keeping track of their prayers. Oh, wow. And and so the more they can say these little short prayers, mm -hmm. they can go to bed at night being like five nothing. I got a hundred and twelve, right? <laughs> wow. And uh, and I don't know who they who they give that score to, right? But, but uh, it's a it's a really interesting part of their culture that I've I've seen firsthand that was hmm. fascinating. Just a little click, click. Interesting. Cool. Yeah, so so we've got the profession of faith, prayer. The third one is zakat, which is almsgiving. So reminiscent of tithes and offerings. It's 1 40th or 2.5% of earnings uh, that go to essentially into a pool uh, to you know, pay for the mosque, but also support community members in need. Um, some wealthy mu Muslims many, oftentimes will go above and beyond and they'll build, you know, mosques or schools or other buildings as a form of charity as well. So you'll see, you know, the, the so-and-so, the Al, you know, Mahadi Center of Islamic Education, some, you know, wealthy businessman funded that to make that happen or something, something along those lines. Or often mosques will be named after the people who built them. Um, just kind of a normal thing. So again, not this, not the same thing as ties and offerings, but, but, comparable to some degree um one you know one fortieth uh being kind of an interesting um i mean interesting subdivision um and obviously has kind of biblical echoes with the 40 mm -hmm. um so that that's that's a thing as well um the sal i think is how to pronounce it I, although i could be wrong uh which is fasting so during the month of ramadan so that's the the holy month in islam um if you're an adult and you are healthy, uh, you fast from food and drink, so you don't eat or drink at all during daylight hours. Mm -hmm. So you can eat before the eat and drink before the sun comes up, eat and drink after the sun goes down. Um, but that is, uh, and that's done for a month. Yeah, um, I don't want the whole episode to become Tim's funny stories, but I got one. Go ahead, one for go you. ahead. Yep. I have a friend who, uh, a couple of friends who were missionaries, um, in Afghanistan, okay. I, I think I'm far enough removed that that's a safe thing to say and not sure. be tracked down to who sure. those guys are. Sure, uh, but they were traveling back to the U.S. Um, during Ramadan, and there was a a family group, like a pretty large family group, okay. that got on the plane with them in Afghanistan uh, and were flying with them all the way to New York. They didn't realize, but had sort of same layovers and everything. Okay, uh, it was like I said, during Ramadan, um, they get on the plane uh, super early in the morning. Um, they're in, in, at Heathrow in London okay. and start flying west. Okay. And the sun just wouldn't set because they're flying with the sun. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and they said by the time they landed in New York, mm. these folks were like, Hungry. get me some food. Yeah, I bet. 
Yeah. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, but but you'll notice like this is a pretty common a great thing. time of year to fly east. Uh, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I rubbed shoulders with, uh, you know, when I was kind of more involved with the kickboxing community. Um, kickboxing is kind of a big deal in certain predominantly Islamic countries, mm-hmm. Turkey, Iran, or a couple in particular. Um, so, yeah, rubbing shoulders with, with guys like that who'd be like, you know, you like get done your weigh-ins, right? And you can eat a little bit before the fight. But if it's Ramadan, they're like... I got I got another hour or two before I can I could snack right so mm-hmm. and again it's again it's one of those things that like most most Muslims would participate in it's not kind of universally observed but right. it's pretty pretty common yeah yeah um it's a huge festival it's yeah it's yeah. not just about and not they eating. feast in once the sun goes oh, yeah. down oh they eat right and I don't know if you've ever had I had my buddy I mentioned him I think in the last episode uh, Hanny so Hanny is from uh, well he was born in Syria but he grew up in the UAE and uh, his his mom and sister came to visit for a little while. This is back when I was single, he was single and I was over there and, uh, and they, you know, and him being a single guy ate like a single guy most of the time. But when his mom and sister came, he was like, dude, come, come over for dinner. Like, man, they can put a spread out. Like it's, it's good food. If you like that kind of thing, I like the spices. Like I, I, I'm down with that kind of stuff. It is tasty. Anyways. Yeah. When I, so when I was in Argentina and I was, uh, I think I've mentioned it here before doing, personal tutoring for a diplomat okay. and his family um, from a country. Middle that, Eastern country? A Middle Eastern country. <laughs> sure. Um, when they would host, like when his dad would be hosting other diplomats at yeah. the house and I would come in to tutor afterward, they'd be like, we got leftovers and leftovers made you think like, Yes, no one please. even showed up, right? <laughs> like it was just so much food. It's like these are the leftovers, <laughs> and it was always incredible. Oh, like yeah. we got no teaching done on those days. Oh, it was yeah. just like so good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so the last pillar, the last pillar is the Hajj, which is the pilgrimage. So ideally, every Muslim is supposed to make a voyage to the holy city of Mecca, which is now in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is a good. Uh, little transition we don't have to go too deep into this but there are three holy cities in islam so number one is mecca uh mecca is where the kaaba is i think we mentioned it briefly but it was originally a place where all these idols were stored now there's a a black stone that's there that is supposed to be sent by god Um, there's like a well that's supposed to have healing properties and so people kind of they come to Mecca to make their pilgrimage at least once in their lifetime if they're able. Obviously, there are many, many Muslims who are live in abject poverty who just can't make it. But, mm-hmm. but if you have any kind of means, you're supposed to, at some point in your life, make the journey. Um, so Mecca is number one. Number two is Medina. This was a city that kind of uh, the Prophet Muhammad kind of like was, it was home base for him for a while. Um and so he, you know, was the first, the first mosque I think ever was built there or something like that. So that's, is important. And then also Jerusalem, which is the really contentious one is number three. So the third most holy city in Islam is Jerusalem because according to their beliefs, um, before Muhammad ascended into heaven, he traveled to Jerusalem and had a good old chat with Jesus and a bunch of other former prophets before ascending yeah. into heaven. So, and, and the reason, and so because of that story, um, Jerusalem makes a list of holy cities and because it makes a list of holy cities, we have significant conflict Yeah, over the city of Jerusalem right? to this day. Yeah. And, and I think, so there's a, there's a part of me that wants to take these things and say, um, isn't, isn't it all just ridiculous because putting other people's positions aside, if I can just shove everyone else's position off the table, then right. of course mine's the only one left on the table. Right. Because <laughs> right? like when you, when you get into like modern day politics, mm. like the number of times I've heard people say, 
every problem this country has ever had comes from this party. Right. You're like, I'm pretty sure that there are problems in the country because of me. <laughs> right? I could probably tick off a couple of them. And yeah. and I'm not a part of that of either party. Yeah. Um But but we don't want to be too quick to do that. No, no. We could listen to a story of like the prophet showing up, meeting with other great prophets from the Christian, Judeo-Christian tradition before ascending into heaven and be like, that's weird. Right. But we also have the story of Jesus. Transfiguration. The transfiguration. Yep. Right? Yep. So, for sure. So before we get too knee-jerk and like start just sort of throwing things away, mm-hmm. you got to understand like right up until the fifth pillar, yeah, Christianity with a different focus and a different God. Sure. But as far as practices, mm-hmm. tracks really well. Professing your faith, praying to God, giving of your means, fasting. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 difference is and 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 pilgrimage was part of the Roman Catholic tradition as well. It it was, but I I would say Roman Catholic tradition and not Christian tradition. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. Um there was a lot that went on in those periods that were not Christian tradition. No, I know, I know. I'm just saying there's um, parallels. Yeah. So I got to reset. Where was Sorry. I? Sorry. Okay, no, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. The the difference is and and this would be a contested difference. Uh we would look to these things and we would say the pillars are actions. This is a works-based religion. Uh, but that's not how all of them see it, right? They would say these are acts of worship that show our devotion, right? which is exactly what I teach. Sure. Right? The difference is I would tell people you need to practice this in obedience, out of faith. Mm-hmm. And they would say, if you're not doing one of these, then you're just not a Muslim. I, I think, We're not a good Muslim anyway. Yeah, I, I think, the, I think the, the gray area between acts of worship and works-based faith is broader in Christianity than it is in Islam. I would say it's it's much sharper mm-hmm. on the workspace side. Oh yeah, um, and well, and pilgrimage is a thing that's not as important anymore. No, as globalization puts people sort of everywhere. Um, but but that the tenets are all actions. Mm-hmm. I think is a, is a little bit telling. Yeah. Um, but I listened to a guy just this morning say, no, 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 these are. These are acts of worship. Sure. Right? You don't you don't earn your way to God. You you confess and then you live a life that shows your confession is true. And that's what these are. Um yeah. so I mean that would be yeah. I mean that would be a more modernistic interpretation of Islam. That, yeah, and, and, and that's an important point, right? Uh like we said last week, to to say this is what Islam teaches. Is yeah, and then to just be, go, oh, okay, so that's exactly what my neighbor believes. Not necessarily. It's not true. There are one, even if even if there were only one teacher, mm-hmm. every interpreter is going to have their opportunity to spin and give different levels of devotion. Right, right, right. It happens in every religion, including ours, mm-hmm. and they have the same level of diversity. Right, that we would have. Yep. Um, so, so you can't just be like, "Oh, well, they do this," and it's uniformly spread out across the board. Uh, so, is it more modern to say that it's an act of worship? Maybe. Yeah. I. I that's really a place where my knowledge of it would right. run up against right. a wall. Right. Um, so I. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's the case. But that's where they're at now. The thing that I find interesting is that in the same way that that's kind of a, a weird sort of spin thing that can go on sometimes with them, I find a lot of the teachings of Islam to be slippery mm. in a way that is sort of like it's stated one way over here, 
but then even the same teacher will kind of change it to make it more palatable mm-hmm. uh, in some ways. And mm-hmm. so yeah. I, I, I don't find as many, there aren't really creeds and confessions. They're working on some apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as just sort of like There's that historical creeds that yeah. are universally or nearly universally received, those mm-hmm. things are, are not as present as they would be. Yeah. Well, There's the Shahada, like we said, like no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. But like beyond that, that that's the non-negotiable. Yeah. But you're not going to have like the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene's Creed. Yeah, those, the Westminster those, Confession. Right, those creeds and confessions <laughs> that summarize right, the theology right. of the faith. Right, right. Um, just don't exist in the same way because I, I feel like, just sure personal take on it, I feel like they like a little bit of the ambiguity Mm-hmm. Um, because when when there's confrontation, they can use that. That that's just what I've seen in in debates and in conversation. Mm. Yeah. So, as far as the core beliefs go, because there's going to be distinct distinctions on the the fringes and the applications and you know nuance. But as far as you know, kind of the core beliefs of Islam, things that are similar, things that are different from what we would believe. Um, first, I mean, they are a monotheistic faith in the sense that there's mm-hmm. only one God and the name Allah is just Arabic word for God. Right. Like that's just what it is. Right. The so English God, um, Christians refer to God as Allah in Arabic because yeah. it's the word for God. So this whole thing, like, here's the thing we, I'm, I would be the last person to equate Christianity with Islam. They're not the same faith, but people who like, I've seen Christians, be like, no, Allah is the name of a different God. It's like, no, it's just right. the word for God. Islam, I would argue, teaches a false understanding and interpretation and, and, and identifies God differently, but it's the word is the like the this whole like power and words thing, like we have to call Jesus Yeshua and all this other stuff is like mm-hmm. people just need to stop with this stuff. Yeah, I, I understand the confusion mm-hmm. for people who are from a different culture. Sure. Um but it's also not your problem if you're from a different culture. <laughs> no. Right. Yeah. Like that's a, that's like being confused at why your neighbor's kids go to bed at the hour they do. Yeah. Not your problem. Yeah, exactly. Right. Unless, well, they're up screaming all night. Yeah. Maybe that, it is a little bit. So only one God, but def- definitely no Trinity. That's, that's major blasphemy to them. So to even right. suggest that uh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit have, there's equality there mm-hmm. is totally totally abhorrent to islam yeah the that number one the, sticking point is is trinitarianism yeah yeah the divinity of of christ in particular but also the holy spirit that is that and that is i mean that's just a that's just a major deal breaker that is why you cannot say islam and christianity essentially teach the same thing they don't they can't mm, right they can't right um, and, and i would the the thing that i also find interesting is um when asked what is what is Islam, if you were to sum it up, mm-hmm. the the general answer most given is all of the writings, all of the teachings, everything is about there is one God. Mm-hmm. And from that, we just have details, mm. right? But the whole thing is there is one God, and he has made himself known through the prophet. Mm-hmm. Right, that is the core that they would stand on, and I find that pretty consistently mm-hmm. throughout. Yep. Right, yet the five pillars say nothing about the person of God. No, not really. Other than his singularity, it's confess. There's only one. Pray. Yeah. Alms, fasting, and pilgrimage. Yeah. But but I would say the pillar is not a recognition. It's it's telling you to confess it's an action that you have to complete right 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 yeah no that's a good point yeah i mean in the quran the way that allah is described that god is described uh, is similar to how the father might be described in in many ways mm-hmm. sovereign majestic powerful just merciful etc that is the, the, so the, the 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 adjectives described to his character are not identical, but but there's there's a lot of similarities, right? And again, you're getting for good reason. Yeah, because because 
because Muhammad was was copying, but that's but so so <laughs> in the really, same way that Joseph Smith was an interesting moment, an yeah. interesting moment, right? Um, I don't think Joseph Smith was, but anyway, wasn't copying the well, he's anyways, yeah, no. So <laughs> the uh, interesting moment, I I saw this um, because when you start researching a thing, yeah. the algorithm is just like, oh, you're super into this, have more, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, and so. Uh, I, one of the platforms, and they throw up this short uh, video clip, probably a YouTube short, um, where this Christian says to a Muslim apologist, if it weren't for the Bible, you wouldn't even have the Quran. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that was his way of saying the similarities between the two books, It's you just can't even argue it. Right, yeah. Not even, not even just how God's described. But the people the stories, who yeah. show up, yeah. some of the stories are very similar, yeah. but with with the same kind of twist yeah. on each story, yeah. I would argue. The um, heroes are more heroic. Yeah. I, so I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I reread the Quran mm-hmm. in order to prepare for this. Mm-hmm. But what I remember seeing is... Um, whereas the Bible says this is the hero, the man of God, mm-hmm. the woman of God, um, even even starting with Adam and Eve, right? It also shows their ineptitude, their human limitations, and their failures because it's a story about God, right? And not about people. And there's no person in all of Scripture outside of Jesus, and Father, Son, and Spirit, that goes through life just killing it. <laughs> right. You know? Right. They all fail. Right. In the Quran, those same people either succeed where the Bible says they failed, or that story is just omitted. Right. Right. That's, that's my... Uh, take on on what I remember reading through it again. Yeah. I I didn't a- have time to read the whole yeah, thing again. Abraham, this, Moses, David are set apart because they are the most holy. Because right. they are the most righteous, right. and and they are kind of elevated to this level of like this is why they were prophets of God because they were so good because they were so righteous because they behaved so well, mm-hmm. right according to his wishes. They practice Islam submission in the perfect way, and that is why they were used, and, and here's all these amazing stories about what they did. Yeah. As opposed to the biblical narratives of Moses, the murderer, the doubter, the stammerer, David, the adulterer, the murderer, the, you know what I mean? Like, it's, there's, yeah, there's this, they're, they're kind of like comic book versions of themselves, right? Yeah, and, the and, Avengers and, versions of themselves. And, and it's not a, it's not a, it doesn't make for a subtle shift. No. Right? Because what you take away from the Bible is, isn't God good, merciful, gracious, Mm -hmm. and mighty? Mm -hmm. The Quran leaves it with, God is just Mm -hmm. and sovereign and mighty. There are some great people that have lived on this earth. They deserve his favor. Mm -hmm. You can too. Right, and I think that's where when we when we talked about the blurred lines between acts of worship and salvation earned, mm-hmm. I think that's where Christianity has the decisive distinction mm-hmm. is in the concept of grace and mercy, because most Muslim apologists would say, "Why would God need to be gracious and merciful? Mm-hmm. Grace and mercy are acts of weakness." And God doesn't need to show that. Yeah, I mean, the, the Quran does mention Allah as being having a merciful side to Him, but He, it's up, it's at His discretion and how. Right. Yeah. So it's it's there's no reliance upon that mercy. Right. There's just a hope that He would be merciful. Yeah. There, Please, God, be merciful to me, but not God. I know that you're merciful, or I know like there's exactly. no there's no assurance of salvation in the same same way. That we would have right. I, I think I think even even the imam would say, "I'm hoping for the best." Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know where I could say, 
of course I'm a failure, but yeah, man, God made a promise to me, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm showing up mm-hmm. at the judgment. Mm-hmm. And when he says, "Why should I let you in?" I'm going to say, "You shouldn't." Mm-hmm. But that guy said that I could use his password. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen the Alistair Begg, the man on the middle cross, said I could come? Mm. Oh. oh yeah. Yeah. Even even just that title. Yeah. Mm. So speaking of the man on the cross, Jesus does play a role in the Quran and within right. the Muslim faith. He is a highly regarded prophet. Um, the Quran teaches that he was born of a virgin, that he performed many miracles. Um, however, things differentiate, obviously on his divinity, which we've already talked about, but also in regards to the crucifixion. Jesus was not crucified in the Quran. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, a substitute was uh, Jesus, um, according to the Quran, he was able to hide himself or uh, whether it's in the Quran or maybe the Hadith, I, I, I can't recall exactly. But Jesus is said to have hid himself and then later met with his disciples. So no, no crucifixion means no resurrection either. Um, but of course, Jesus was not crucified because Allah would not have allowed one of his great prophets like Jesus to suffer that way. Right. Because, again, that just wouldn't align with the understanding of uh, quality of character, you draw a direct line between quality of character and blessing. Yeah, it right. it is it is prosperity gospel. It is in a sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, as far as humankind, man is born sinless, so no original sin. Uh, there, there is an Adam and Eve narrative, Garden of Eden narrative. Uh, it doesn't end exactly the same way. Can, I, can hold on? Oh, sorry. Yeah, just going back to that substitute yes who died for jesus Mm -hmm. jesus put forth as a man of great character like i don't know like my my notion is that someone who would would allow someone else to die in their place as a a ruse um and i don't know if that screams his character who was that guy did he go willingly um I, I should look into that story. So I believe, um, so I'm just looking it up here. Uh, so I, I believe it says that, okay, so this is from the Quran here. Uh, uh, it only seemed to them uh, that, that, it had, that he had been crucified. Instead of saying Jesus had been replaced by Judas... Uh, when I said you seem okay, sorry, no, I'm just reading a, th- a thing here. So the idea is that, yeah, so it, it appeared that he was crucified, but it was actually a replacement. Uh, one interpretation is that it was Judas. They did a body swap, uh, but there's different there's different views on it within Islam. But either either way, however they interpret it, mm-hmm. it was it was the the appearance. It only looked. That's why everyone thought Jesus was crucified. That but the Christians were just mistaken, and so thank goodness Muhammad showed up to clarify what actually happened. Yeah, that is essentially that. That's the heart behind it. That's the heart of that's that Muhammad showed up to clarify the situation. Yeah, that is Islam. is the Quran. Yeah, yeah, the Quran. That so so when we said it's no simple thing to to change the main the the major characters of scripture into the heroes of scripture, mm-hmm. uh, because of it changes the nature of God mm-hmm. and the story who the story is is about ostensibly. Um, it also, when when you take that sort of like the the Quran as a summation, it, it shows itself in human authorship mm-hmm. when humans want to believe that they could. Right. You'd like to believe that you could, mm-hmm. or at least that someone had. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas the Bible teaches, no, you can't, and no yeah. one has. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, there is. The, the changes that are made are very human changes. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like I said, like that humanity is born sinless. So that right. you're not you're not born into sin. In, in right? some ways, in some ways, a humanist would see the Quran as far more optimistic, because at least at you least there is. Yeah. Deep down, dig deep inside. Yeah. And maybe you can find it. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, and so like again, so because the Quran is is considered to be a later and greater revelation. It supersedes right. the Bible. And the Bible is accepted where it agrees with the Quran. Yeah. So if you were to quote a Bible verse to someone who's Muslim, that it, like talking about how idolatry is terrible, they'd be like, amen. 
Mm-hmm. Don't make images of God. We're with you. Right? Like they would agree with that, but there but it's where there's a where there's a difference, the Quran supersedes. The Quran takes preeminence where it differs. That's fact, how they would view in it. In fact, if you were a Christian who was really into iconoclasm, you might find more agreement in Islam than in Christianity at large. <laughs> On that issue? On that issue. On that issue. Uh, yeah, was, yeah well. there, so during the Crusades, when the land was changing back and forth, yeah. one of the interesting architectural things was that instead of just building new churches every time the Christians would take over a place, because yeah. that takes like decades sure. at that time, or a building a new mosque, a lot of these buildings were just like churches that get converted into a mosque. Yeah. Iconography was huge in the Middle Ages, and so all these paintings of like saints and and of uh, <laughs> statues, you know, st- yeah, all this kind of stuff would yeah. go up, and then the uh, Muslims would take the land again, and it would all get torn down, and the Christians would push back, and it would all get put back, and <laughs> yeah, it's just sort of like decorate, redecorate <laughs> constantly. Yeah, it's true. Actually, that's true. So salvation is is achieved through submission to Allah. But as we said, there's no assurance of salvation, just hope for mercy. So Mm -hmm. do your best, hope for the best. Yeah. I I would say a lot of Christians, for whatever reason, live in this strange place where there's like the the celestial scales of good and evil and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, well... I, I'm doing my best before God, and, and I hope he sees that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not pseudo-Christianity. That's pseudo-Islam. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of, like, kind of some interesting minor things that are similar. I mean, there is the character of Satan exists mm-hmm. in Islam. Um, they believe in angels. They also have this really interesting other class of being known as the jinn, which is where we get our term for genie which are were created alongside human beings but are more kind of spiritual and it's it's actually kind of it's a little weird when you get get deep into it but um mm-hmm. similar to demons but not quite it, it I don't want to kind of get too deep into it but anyways there's some interesting kind of beliefs about that that kind of stuff in the supernatural world but yeah. they definitely believe in the supernatural world they put more on angelology than we would they do and yeah. more on more on the prophets as well yes so core beliefs, so we talk about the five pillars, those are the actions, but sure. on core beliefs, yep. uh, two of the core beliefs are angels and messengers, yep. even though the Bible uses synonyms for angels and messengers. It's the same, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I think what they're doing is they're saying angels and prophets. Angels and prophets. Yeah. yeah. That would be the yeah. distinction we would make. Yeah. They also believe in final judgment. Last days, they believe in a mm-hmm. a end times. There's an yep. eschatology to Islam. Um, there is a, a, a hope in the afterlife and a hope in you know a, a renewed world. Um, destiny based, you know, on the whims of Allah and the quality of your deeds. And I mean, obviously, there's nuance depending on who you ask. How they're going to explain it differently, but that is a thing that is being uh, waited for and and hoped for uh, within within Islam is a, a a final judgment that's coming. Um, yeah. And I mean, there's other things too. Like, I mean, we, we can't go on forever about this, but you know, there's certain things that, you know, dietary restrictions, you know, no pork, no alcohol, the meat has to be butchered and blessed in a similar way to kind of how kosher foods are in Judaism. Right. Um, that's where I was saying, like, I just feel like there's a whole lot of Jewish bleed over. Yeah. Um, historically, usually marriages are arranged, although in Western countries that isn't always happen anymore. But it makes for, you notice for the most part, um, Muslim families tend to be fairly close-knit even with extended family. So there's kind of tight family relations, right, with cousins and aunts right. and uncles and, yeah. and beyond. Um, obviously, modesty is a big deal, um, especially for women, but also for men to some degree, again, depending on where you are and how the cultural, it, it, it it's going to vary based on the culture. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's why in certain contexts, you'll see a Muslim woman who has no covering whatsoever and says, I'm a Muslim woman and I'm, you know, being modest and I'm fine. And the, her imam might say, yes, you are. 
And then other context is like, no, we'll need to have a headscarf. No, I need to have a niqab, so a veil. And then you have certain more radical expressions like with the Taliban in Afghanistan that have women burqas head to toe, blacked mm-hmm. out everything, right? So again, that's going to vary. So there's not a hard and fast rule for what modesty and family relationships look like across the board. It's going right. to it's going to vary yeah. Yeah. nation to nation, culture to culture. So again, just kind of underscoring that thing that we kind of started the whole thing with being like it there are certain commonalities but there's also a great deal of variety and it's just good to keep that in mind, right? Yeah. You you could probably watch an hour long teaching on YouTube about what is Islam mm-hmm. and then listen to this podcast and be like, "Wow, that was a bunch of sweeping generalities and, <laughs> and, and personal hot takes. And, yeah. and I would say 100%, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like there's, this isn't, we're not going to title this everything you need to know about Islam. Right. That's not the point here. No, no, Right? No. The point here is to create some talking points that maybe cause you to go, huh, I'd like to look into that a little bit more. Yeah. Or that causes me to ask some questions. And, and if you're thinking, I'm interested in asking some of these questions now, because I have this person in my life, mm-hmm. I say, ask them. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. you don't have to go to YouTube. Go to yeah. them and yeah. start the conversation. I'm sure they'd be interested in talking about it. Sure. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Like if someone came sure. to you and they were like, hey, you're a Christian, tell me about Jesus. Yeah. You'd go, you'd call all of your Christian friends, hopefully, and be like, <laughs> the most amazing thing happened today. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like hopefully, my, my hope is that for most people who aren't deeply familiar with Islam, though, that there's at least some of the things we've talked about today will hopefully have like helped them understand the system a little bit better or uh, like provided a bit of a baseline to work from, right? To understand, okay, why does my Muslim colleague like, why do they keep, why do they take multiple breaks during their shift and just mm-hmm. disappear for a few minutes? Well, this is why. Right. And the reasoning is this is a core part of what their belief is. It's not just them saying, oh, I feel like praying now. It's like, no, this is, you know, or whatever it might be. Right. It's like, so, so hopefully again, we've talked about the history of it. We've talked about what they believe. And then next week we're going to talk about how we can engage. Yeah. I, I would, that thing about like coworkers taking breaks and stuff like that just sort of brings me to an interesting point. I'm, I'm not, a proponent in general of multi-faith kind of collaborations, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think I think we have similarities, but where we differ, we differ on the most critical things. Yeah, which Jesus. Makes, <laughs> yeah, and so yeah. and so I'm I'm not a proponent for that in in a sure. lot of ways. Sure, uh, but not in all ways. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, Christians can sometimes get really upset that they have coworkers taking a break a couple of times a day to do a prayer. Mm-hmm. My recommendation, you should chill out on that a little bit because mm-hmm. that is the right to practice religion. It's religious freedom, yeah. And that's the same card you need to play when you say I don't want to work on Sundays. Yep. Because of my faith. Yeah. I I'd, I'd like to keep getting Christmas off because yep. that matters. Mm-hmm. To me, religiously, sure, not just a civil, a civic holiday, right, or a social holiday, right, right. Um, there are some things that we stand on. Uh, some of the the moral issues, yep, that take place in society. Um, more and more, you look around at those people who are standing in opposition, and you're like, it seems like everyone is against us. Look around at those people who stand in op- opposition. Mm-hmm. These are the people standing alongside you, yeah, right, yeah, and in some ways. Not theologically, mm-hmm. so I would draw the line at doing things together worship-wise. Of course, yeah. Um, e- even to the point of like, would I allow them to use our church building? Right. I would say no. Mm-hmm. This place is consecrated to the worship of mm-hmm. one true God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who is one? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but societally. Yeah, like civic coming issues. alongside our, our neighbors and, and civic issues, I, yep. I think we should. Um, I'd be able to identify where we're aligned. Yeah, and and that's not just for the preservation of self interests, mm-hmm. man. As we talk about next week, that's also inroads. Yep, to conversation for sure. Right, for sure. It. My one minute hot take summary, 
characterization of what I, how I would describe Islam if I was required to do it in a tweet. Mm-hmm. Um, although I'll use more than however many characters you're allowed in a tweet. <laughs> or an X, whatever it is. Now, I don't know. Um, I think it's still a tweet. Even I, don't, it's I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not on it. So, so when I read scripture... I'm blown away by God. Mm. And I'm also blown away by humanity. How good God is, how strangely petty and disobedient man is, mm-hmm. and how I'm right there in that mix. Right. I also struggle with things like, if God is God and he loves, he's omnibenevolent, why is there still suffering? Why do good things happen to bad people? Right. There are a lot of these tensions inside of Christianity that we deal with. Mm-hmm. If I were given the task with my knowledge of Christianity and Judaism to write a faith that just made more sense to people, mm. it might look something like the Quran. Right. Yeah. You know? Where bad things don't happen to good people. Mm-hmm. Good things happen to good people. Mm-hmm. People have the ability to show their goodness and to be good and to be champions, and you can too. Mm-hmm. And God looks to that and says, you made it. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Yet he is still sovereign and above all and eager to show his justice. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh that's not in any way condoning those works because what I would say is it seems like someone did a human edit of a divine scripture. Right. That's how I would define the Quran, mm-hmm. a human edit of a divine scripture. Yeah. I understand the blasphemy that that is for, uh, for Muslims. Sure. Um, but, I mean, at some point we're just going to have to say we disagree on this and we need to talk it through. Yeah. Right? And so... So if if there's a, a Muslim who's scrolling through TGC podcast <laughs> for some reason <laughs> and decides to <laughs> land on this one, uh, and they're like, "Whoa, that's that's crazy and ridiculous." Yeah. Give me a ring. We can talk about it. Yeah. Um, but but that's kind of my take on it. Uh, we have a mutual friend who spent a lot of time in Islam. Yeah. That's his take on it as well. Yep. Um, so yeah. So next week we'll talk about how to broach some of these conversations for sure things to things to talk about things to leave alone yeah um and uh and and maybe ways you can you can start having conversations with your muslim community that lead to discussions of the gospel yeah for sure Thanks for listening. This podcast is a resource of Memorial Baptist Church in Stratford, Ontario, in cooperation with the Gospel Coalition of Canada. It is produced by the Alex Walker. Take care.